0: Greetings, friends of the apocalypse. Welcome to Take 2 of Episode 12 of Podcast at Round Zero, where we're going to be talking about Twilight 2000, which is a traditional paper and pencil RPG. And we have tonight, as usual, Mr. Adam Scott Glancy. And we have special guest today, uh, Mr. Frank Fry, who has actually authored uh, several resource books and adventures from Twilight 2000. So we're having him join us today. Hello, Frank. Hey. Okay, uh, now we're doing Twilight 2000 because again, like we talked about before, we like we're you know we're grognards. We like our paper pencil games, so we like talking about those a lot. And uh, Twilight 2000 is Mr. Glancy's favorite post apocalyptic RPG, so we're giving it all you know giving it uh, its due airtime. I like the game itself, um, but I don't. I'm not nearly as into it as uh, Mr. Glancy is. Just like he's not in, in, as much as in, I'm into Gamma World, so. It's a nice no, balance. No one yeah.
1: could be as much into Gamworld as you are, sir. I, I honestly don't there are some people who've made a good try to be as much into Gamworld as you, but no one no one is really coming close. It's like,
0: yeah, I can I, 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 I keep on looking to see that apparently uh, Gameworld.com Gamworld.com is apparently whoever owns it is putting it up for some kind of auction selling and they want a lot of money for it. So I just keep on looking until they finally give up and get it for a low price so I could buy Gamworld.com. <laughs>
1: I would, I would hope that Wizards of the Coast would be there first.
0: No, apparently they're not, because you know, they're, they're, I mean, I think it's like they're going for like twenty, like they want to like minimum bids like two thousand dollars or something. You figure Wizards of the Coast, oh. yeah. Well, you figure they'd want their IP, you know, so you figure they throw the money at it. And oh, well, that's right, because they made their shitty game uh, three years ago and they dropped it and gave up on it again already. so yeah, exactly. There you Exactly.
1: So. So. Again. It's not worth $2,000 to, to Hasbro to consolidate their IP. Okay. You know, whatever.
0: Yeah. So, nothing about Gamma World. Uh, we're going to talk about Twilight 2000 today. Yes, we are. Uh, but yeah. before we do that, uh, a little, little bit of in the, uh, in the news. Uh, a couple of things that I uh, did pick up on, actually, in the last couple of days was uh, several shows, many shows ago, I talked about an upcoming movie called The Colony, which is kind of the... Uh, uh, survival in the Ice Age: The isolated, uh, you know, camps. There's only a couple of them left, you know, taking place in the Arctic. That's actually, I believe, opening up this week. So I'll probably go check that out. and We'll talk about that next show. And also, I did. I noticed a little bit of information is apparently the AMC has li- uh, licensed a offshoot show for The Walking Dead, uh, with season four coming out in the popularity of the show. They're doing a separate show. Different characters, different plot line, which is what I thought they should have done in the first place. So uh, that's not going to be slotted until 2015. Hopefully, the zombie uh, train is going to keep on going to where they'll actually be able to do that. So we'll have to wait and uh, see what well, happens. We'll see,
1: if, we'll see if the fictional world holds up as well as the characters. Personally, I think it can.
0: Oh, um, it can! It totally can. I mean, look at the the one, the first Walking Dead game that came out by uh, Skybound. Which uh, had the different characters, same universe. It was a fantastic story. It was a good, good, good characters. I, there's, there's no problem coming up with that. Especially you know if Kirkland's working on it. Because again, I thought from the beginning he should have done the same universe, not be bound to the comic okay, book. Okay. You know.
2: Hey, um, have either of you guys seen the uh, trailers for a movie called Snowpiercer?
0: Yes. Uh, it's the one with the they're surviving on the on the bullet train that drives around the world. Yes. Yes, we've we've mentioned we've mentioned that before, Scott. Remember, I told what? you.
1: Yeah, I I I, I okay. So their their survival is on a they're surviving on a 200 mile an hour train.
0: Yeah, it's like this. It's, a, it's this giant train that uh, uh, has some kind of perpetual nuclear motion or something like that, and you know it's some kind of a holocaust, and they're also they're surviving. You know, their their world is the train. That's their bunker, and it's driving around the world constantly.
1: Wow. Okay then.
0: <laughs> yeah, so that's uh, that's um, that's gonna be coming out.
1: I'm gonna line up to see that. Uh,
0: yeah. At the video store where it comes out at Scarecrow, but
1: <laughs> maybe I'll wait till somebody transfers it to YouTube. There you go. And I, and I should point out that speaking of uh, sort of apocalypses and whatnot, Mr. Wallace, because you posted back on September the 13th that it was the anniversary the of bre- the day
0: the, the breakaway.
1: Yeah, it was the what the. 14th anniversary of uh, the moon being blasted out of Earth's orbit on September 13th, 1999, sending the crew of Moonbase Alpha on Three, their journey.
0: 331 brave souls, which you know we've lost due, due to us lo- losing the moon because of uh, nuclear waste disposal station 2 exploding.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. actually went digging around in that, and uh, there's a, a bunch nuk- of episodes.
0: What a Nuclear Waste Station Two? You went digging around
1: there? Uh, no, in in, in YouTube videos, and I found ah. uh the Mission of the Darians, which is the Apocalypse on a Generation Ship episode of ah. of uh, uh Space 1989. Just to you know make sure there's a way to thread this back into our Apocalypse. Yeah, it was a um, it was an episode where there are generation ships going by. They sent out a, an eagle to go out and check it out, and find that it suffered some cataclysm, not unlike the ship from *Orphans of the Sky* or uh, *The Warden* from uh, *Metamorphosis Alpha*. And uh, it uh, eh, its not—it's—it's—it's it's it's worth a look, and that it is one of the more—the more disturbing episodes. The one thing I'll give to *Space 1999* that it had over *Star Trek* is that. Terrible, horrible things happen on Space Nineteen Ninety Nine that are actually kind of upsetting and unpleasant.
0: Was that was that a season one or a season two episode? Season
1: one. It's a season yeah. one episode.
0: Yeah, the season one stuff was definitely, uh, for my my memory, a, a lot better. Uh, season two, they kind of went the route of, okay, since it's American TV, let's make it all about action and adventure and excitement, you know?
2: Yeah, it it got a lot wackier too. Yeah, you know. Now, by the way, uh, you want to talk about apocalypses, though. You ever imagine what Earth would be like with the moon blasted out of orbit?
1: You know, they, they talk about that for five seconds at the episode as the moon is drifting away. There's, like, radio reports of disasters and floods and the ice caps are melting. And I'm like, there's no more tides. The weather is now permanently on fuck mode. You know, I was like, okay, that could be cool. But, you know, the only time we get that is, what, Thundar the Barbarian?
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to spend yeah. some time. We got to spend some time on that that gem. <laughs> well, yeah. Indeed,
1: yeah. indeed. We haven't got the thunder yet. But all oh, right.
0: I, I love thunder. So anyway, enough enough of that. And then uh, you know, when you mentioned, um, oh, I just lost my train of thought because you we were talking about
1: ninety nine,
0: space Not nineteen,
1: space. Um, metamorphosis alpha. The Warden. oh no,
0: space nineteen ninety nine. Just just to talk about that one one last second was. Apparently in 2010 uh, there was a fan made like video it's like uh, it's like maybe like 5 it's like 5 to 10 minutes long they actually got one of the original actresses
1: oh yeah Broadway, well, and they I'm built amazing. a set
0: they they tied up all the loose ends from the series to kind of wrap it up they were sending their this was like the last transmission trying to send a transmission back to earth of where they are because they Found a uh, uh, habitable. I think they called it um, Terra Alpha. Uh, you know, they all went there to, because they were because the moon was gonna, you know, uh, wouldn't be back again for another like 50 years. And they're like, well, this was an opportunity, so let's just do it. So we're sending, they they loaded up all the Eagles and you know, you know, took a road trip to this planet. So it was a little fan-made thing. I watched it. It was, it was okay. It was interesting. just to kind of like wrap up the story. So it's on YouTube. You can find it anywhere. You know.
1: Yep. All right, so moving on to Twilight 2000. Oh yeah! <laughs>
0: all right, Twilight 2000. For viewers who don't know, it's a RPG which came out in 1984. Was it originally done by G- uh, Game Designers G- Workshop or no?
2: Yeah. yeah, it was originally Game
1: Designers Workshop.
0: Game Design Frank Workshop.
1: Chadwick was the Frank Chadwick was the primary guy behind it. Now I no I no longer have my awesome
0: box original box set. Aww.
1: Yet, but I but all I have are the are the the little weird black and white Love little books those. where Love there those. was a referee. This is back in the day where there's a referee's manual and a play manual. Oh so yeah. So it, it divided the source material uh, with the rules in ways so that the you know the, all the rules for how to play the game are with the player, but um, much of the background stuff and environmental stuff is with the keeper, which I thought was a, which is a very cool way to divide stuff up. Plus, all the background for the for the for the setting.
0: Now uh, tell us a, now tell us a little more uh, about the setting, if you would, Scott. Just give us a little more a little okay. rundown on that. The,
1: the, the basic deal is it was it's first published, I believe, in 1984. Yeah. It is the height of the Cold War. It doesn't get any it doesn't get any colder. <laughs> if you go back to like 1963 uh, and the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um. Uh. And uh, the basic idea is is that we turn the Cold War hot in a series of. Uh, East over, during a series of East-West confrontations that were intended to take place in 1995. Um, that kicks off a third world war with uh, the Russians fighting the Chinese, uh, the Germans trying to force a, an armed reunification with West Germany and East Germany, and finally a Warsaw Pact NATO confrontation. Um, that ends after a grinding war and a limited nuclear exchange. More waste of resources on the continuing conflict until finally the war doesn't necessarily end. There's no armistice. There's no treaty. Uh, No side really wins. It just grinds down until more and more units are disintegrating as soldiers give up and walk home or (coughs) units go rogue and set themselves up as warlords or potentates and the collapse of the global economy has sort of spread yeah. a disaster around the world where, you know, Africa uh, has turned itself back into sort of, a, you know, just an abattoir uh, of warlords and tribes and the uh, borders have disintegrated. And You know, it, it, it's a general global uh, disaster following this exchange. Throw in, of course, a little nuclear winter from the limited nuclear exchange, and it sucks to be everybody on Earth. And Twilight 2000 kicks off in the summer of 2000 where you play military soldiers. And this was sort of the, the genius of the game. It was a game that set you up to develop characters had a military background. And then it set up a situation where your military command structure has broken down, either because their radios aren't functioning anymore and they can't call you, or your unit has been overrun and is now... I hate to say behind enemy lines because well, like
0: well, more like the supply lines were cut, the you know the chain of command was cut. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah but you oh, know yeah. units are units are now living off the land, and at this point, your unit or your fragment of a unit gets stuck behind enemy lines is a loose term. You're stuck in a zone that goes from somewhere from the Vistula River in Poland or the, the border of the Kurpet Marshes all the way almost to the Rhine that is just this wrecked zone of Europe where you know, governments extend as far as the rifle range of whatever local thug is calling himself the government. And you're you're, you're just set adrift in this world. It was absolutely a sandbox universe. One of the very, of, for me it was a very important sandbox universe uh, because it, it took the world that we knew, the world of the 20th century, and suddenly made it so that you could wander around that world almost at will, uh, you know, uh, turning it almost into your standard sort of, uh, you know, fantasy trek across a world because there were no borders, there were no customs officials, there were no national boundaries, that sort of thing to hold you up.
0: Now, what what originally besides that again, like what made me pick it up uh, back in the day, mice was. Again, it was like these soldiers. It looked all like, oh, what's going on here? You know, the Cold War. uh, You know, the nuclear war, the survival, and the classic line on the back. Oh yeah, uh, it's totally sold me. Um, I don't know. I can't quote it exactly, but it basically, it's what does it go? It's like, it's good luck.
1: You're on your own.
0: Yeah, the last transmission received from command was, "Good luck. You're on your own." So I was like, okay, I'm sold. Now. Uh, that's what first I saw. That uh, that got me into it. Frank, w- did you first discover the game uh, back in '84 when it came out, or was it uh, or was it was it after?
2: Actually, um, how I discovered the game was I was talking with Frank Chadwick up at GDW. <laughs> I had done some work for Stryker, some some vehicle designs and such, and I called him up and I said, "Now, Stryker um, was the was the uh, the
1: traveler." Uh, miniatures, mercenary yeah. combat game. Guys. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yeah. And I said, yeah, I, I'm doing this and that. And and Frank said, well, you know, we're working on this game called Twilight 2000. And uh, I said, okay, that sounds interesting. Because originally they had driven back from some, I'm trying to remember, the, I think it may have been Gen Con back when it was held at Lake Geneva. And in the three days it took them to get back, they kind of brainstormed this whole idea idea you know this whole concept and i thought damn this is interesting you know this is really interesting uh one of the advantages i had was living in tampa mcdill air force base headquarters united states central command or as it's known then as the rdf rapid deployment force um i thought this is really neat so i got to work and the first module i wrote the adventure was the black madonna Hold yeah. on. Let's let's go ahead and hold that bad boy up.
0: Now, is that the, uh,
2: black, the
1: Black yeah. Madonna? Yeah.
0: Now, was that early? Was that early in the? Because uh, that's was that still part of the uh, the original version, right? Not the later yes. version, which came out in. Um, yeah. What is it? I think the first version was '84. The uh, 2.0 came out in '90 when they kind of started changing the game around yeah. with the fall of the wall. So this is part of the original.
1: Uh, yeah. Ending. White yeah. Eagle. White Eagle came out in 1990.
0: Okay. And, uh, you know, and Frank uh, knows a lot about, uh, you know, m- military equipment because uh, Frank's, uh, so put it out there, Frank is a, a Vietnam veteran, so, uh, you know, Frank's been around military hardware, so he knows he knows a little bit about it, so. so he's got a little street cred there when it, come, when which, it comes which to that. Which might
1: be why the, he also wrote the Small Arms Guide for the first edition. Yep, and that's my and beast. the NATO Vehicle Handbook for the first edition. And uh, let's see what else. The RDF, as we were saying, the RDF source book. Yep. And uh, King's Ransom. Ta-da, King's Ransom, which is one of the two scenarios set in Iran, I think they produced. Um, Uh Uh-huh. I mean, that was the only two that were published, was RDF source book and King's Ransom. Uh, There were a couple others that were written for Challenge magazine, but the, uh, the Persian Gulf Theater didn't get as much love as the Central European theater, and then,
2: uh, yeah, yeah, and I always thought it was interesting because you know you look at today, and you know, our our civilization, our society, and I'm trying to think. My God, if, if if we had a collapse like that, there'd be a whole lot of people that would just basically be SOL. They wouldn't know what to do, you know. And that was part of the challenge of writing for Twilight Two Thousand uh was actually trying to come up with what seemed to be plausible. you know, how did you do this? How do you get by without this? Yeah uh, I can give you a straight up example from my own life. I'm a diabetic. I would figure without my insulin injections and the oral medications I take, I'm gonna be dead within two years. You we've know, all so we've that,
1: all read Lucifer's hammer. Yeah yeah. Yeah, which was okay. the scare. yeah, that was really the scariest moment for me, and that was the guy who is the JPL guy who has diabetes, who has to make it, a
2: decision about whether to today's today, life or today something. we
0: today we lost our wizard.
1: Yeah, uh, I think yeah, that's the quote from the today, book. We,
2: today we lost our wizard. And it was, you know uh, try, just trying to make things work, like answering basic questions. Like where's all the ammunition coming from? More importantly, Who's making primers? I mean, I can load. Anybody can, you know, load a brass, you know, salvage brass cartridges. But who's making the primers that go in them? There's only a finite number of those.
1: One of the things I loved about uh, some of the rules. Now the rules were less complicated than Mara Project. They were oh, less yeah. complicated, but in the first edition, it was still a bit like doing your taxes to generate a character. Yep, sheet.
0: that's that's what actually. Kind of turned me away from the game a bit, uh, it's because the rule. Because uh, so I, I was just reading recently, somebody was talking about um, did a comparison to Advanced Squad Leader and Twilight Two Thousand.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: They're like, it's like, oh, it's like the, it's like, it's like you know, Advanced Squad Leader, you know, is an RPG format. This, it's like, it's and it's because it's it was a bit complicated, because especially back then, it was uh, you know, uh, like Aftermath, all of the, the overly complicated games, uh, you know, like we tried them but it was a bit much. Like, we played Twilight 2000 once or twice, but it was like so much went into just creating characters and, you know, yeah. it was... Oh, and it you w-
1: could get snuffed out in a second, too. Yeah. That was the one thing yeah. about the game is that it was absolutely unforgiving when it came to getting shot. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I had, yeah. A, I had I a character was... who, got, who picked up one hit and was essentially done for the damn game. I mean, there was nothing else I could do to contribute because you know, uh, I, uh, you know, thank God I was wearing my helmet, but my character couldn't see straight for the next three weeks because he got shot in the back of the
2: head and the impact had temporarily blinded him. Yeah, not only that, but, you know, when I was running firefights and I have, you know, I used to be known for my lethal firefights. Having had some practical
1: experience at the matter. Yeah,
2: because, you know, there are any number of times when, What's your favorite shooting position, flat on my stomach, doing this with my M16, held above my head, thumb on the trigger, Yeah. You know. <laughs> and the way that you would judge whether how effective you were was, you're listening to the volume of the other guy's return fire. When it starts slacking up, you figure, okay, we drove him off. So I actually had one kid who'd fired off a burst, he'd scored a critical, you know, thought he was hot, but, you know, hot shit. Did I get him? Are you poking up your head to see it? Yes! BAM! You're done. <laughs> Stuck your head up in the middle of a firefight, you just got your skull excavated by a 762 by 39 millimeter round.
1: The uh, the rules were very brutal on character injury. Oh, God. They were very realistic. They were very realistic on uh, resource management. How many calories are you going to have to suck down to be able to uh, maintain your attributes? Uh-huh. Um, radiation did not give you superpowers in Twilight 2000.
0: Oh, that's bu- that's that's bullshit right there. Okay.
1: <laughs> radiation made you shit your liver, is what it did. You you know your your gums yep. bleed and your teeth fall out, and your hair goes, and you you're you're incapacitated by nausea and all kinds of other horrible shit. Yeah, you wind up like
2: me. You know what the hell?
1: Well, um,
0: that, well that well that well that's the thing too. When it with the game, uh, which again turned us away from it, was yes, yeah. the game is the combat it's it's a very it's more of a you could probably say it was more of a simulator it was very realistic with the combat i think it was for my taste it was too realistic because i'm playing a fantasy game i want to be yeah you know what yeah i want to be the hero i want to be able to do this and i want to be able to do that you know too much realism is like well if i want it to be real then well we'll just let's just go on the street you know because it if like, I wanted it to
1: be lethal and realistic, I'd play Call of Cthulhu and die in the first opening vo- you know, volley of gunfire. Well, if it was yeah, play, uh, if it was
0: played that way, but you know that's what yeah, right. you know that that's what the with the game it's it's a very yeah. it's you know for our viewers it's a very uh, hyper realistic game and you know yeah. we can get into a whole debate because I know actually um, some of our friends who do the D Infinity live uh, broadcast who've been on the show before I think one of the recent po- uh, podcasts was just about realism in gaming. You know, because it's like, where do you know where do you personally draw the line? How realistic do you want your game to be? Do you want it to be super realistic to where it's almost, you know, in my opinion, almost no fun? Or do you want, I mean, or do you want to completely wahoo in the other direction? It's like, where do you find that balance? You know, where do you? Well, certainly when we
1: when when we I'm sorry, I was gonna say when we played the game, I'll I won't I promise not to talk over Frank anymore, um, since he's closer to the damn source material than I am. When we had firefights in the game, it usually worked out a lot like. Um, how it, it, what we saw later watching um, band of brothers which was that the firefight either went all your way or you were completely screwed i mean you know the initial point of contact who gets the drop on the other guys yeah. um, it usually went all one way either we wiped the other guys out before they had a chance to know what was happening or do 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 we bit off more than we could chew you know where, and God knows I can remember some instances where we're like, yay, we're winning, and then, oh, wait, we, we lost, you know, where the, tables, the the things fell apart very quickly in the game, and it, after a couple of spankings and having lost some characters, I got a lot more cautious, <laughs> you know, something that you don't get to do in real life, you don't get to learn from that mistake when you ambushed the Mexican army guys and thought, ah, there's no way they're going to be able to call in indirect fire support. We've got these, you know, wetbacks by their... Blam! You know, end of game. So, yeah, we got a lot more cautious. We shot guys in the back. Uh, we, you know, we would not get into a conflict uh, with another group because this is not a game that really ran on experience points. You didn't win by shooting a bunch of guys, getting experience points, getting better, and getting their stuff, um, you had to solve problems in the game. The game forced you to do other things besides combat to solve a lot of your problems.
2: Yeah, I also found uh, it depended a lot on the play group. My play group, when we were play testing RDF Sourcebook, I had a very good bunch of players. So I sprang something on them. They got in a firefight with a group of Soviet soldiers and. In and around the mountains of around the Zagros Mountains, and when it was all said and done, and they had won, as it were, they go and they find that it's a Category Three unit, which basically means these guys aren't really mobilized, and you know, unless the you know unless the uh, Germans are goose stepping you know through the streets of Moscow type ones, and they suddenly realized that most of those soldiers were kids. Anywhere, young men anywhere between the ages of 12 and 14. And I remember one of my players just kind of going, my God, we're killing children. <laughs> you know, and it was a real, it was a, an interesting moment because it's like, it's almost a typical American reaction. Yeah, My God, we're killing children. And then the old grizzled veteran character goes, just remember, those kids are trying to kill us. Besides, little son of a bitch has an AK-47 in his hands. He grew up yeah you know, so you had this whole thing going back and forth where they were aware of their environment so that's a kind of realism it's it's they bring it themselves and yeah, one having, of things that,
1: one of the things having, I really enjoyed was the idea that the game presented a lot of really interesting moral dilemmas that oh, were yeah. not that were not, um, that were not dictated or directed by alignment remember this is 84. Right when you know the alignment was still something that people seem to think was standard for any game. Now the game had a a system of developing character motivations using a deck of cards. We draw a card and it would yeah. you know define an NPC very quickly as to what their sort of motives and what all were. Um, that wasn't it. Wasn't like oh look orcs they're chaotic evil, you know. Uh, you, you couldn't count on the enemy being evil, and you couldn't count on your allies being good in that
2: environment. So
0: Well, again, it's like life. It's not that black and white. Oh, know? yeah.
2: Yeah, it was yeah. marvelously gray. Yeah, I think one of the most, probably I think it's probably the most single controversial NPC I ever created was Captain Molly Warren, 114th oh, yeah. Armored Cavalry. And this is a woman that had been captured by the Soviets, had been gang-raped for about three days. She had a scar down the side of her face, you can imagine, you know. And she was finally rescued, you know, in the counterattack. attack And, uh, hey, you okay? Yeah, I can handle it. Sure. Yeah, and... When they met her during the uh, escape from the police, yeah, yeah, she's like she's like the first friendly unit you run into. Yeah, and
1: escaping the Khaled's pocket.
2: Yeah, and you notice the one thing is she has no Russians in her unit because by this time you've got different nationalities. Oh no, every Russian she captured, she shot or executed. Usually now it was string them up with Kamo wire. Yeah, her motivation was. You know, I may, you know, I don't know, I may not ever get the bastards that rape me, but I figure if I kill enough of them, maybe the law of averages will break on my side. (laughs) And when you encounter her,
1: your first reaction is, holy shit, she's a psychopath. Yeah. Um, Because I had some players... Who were playing the Foreign Legion of the Fifth Division? So they're, they're this motley group of 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 Russian deserters, uh, you know Warsaw Pact deserters, uh, separated uh, Bundeswehr guys, separated uh, Norwegians, you know, and they're all in this unit. They're all speaking English because it's well it's the one common dialect they all have, and they end up breaking out of the Kallets pocket. There's like they start off with like 120 of them. The scenario starts whittling them down they run into Molly Warren and she wants to shoot the fucking Russians in their unit because they're obviously traitors they're obviously a problem you know and they end up having to you know it ends up like reservoir dogs they are all pointing guns the first friendly unit they run into and suddenly they're pointing guns at each other because what she's doing doesn't make any sense you know
2: to the players yeah but you know it makes sense to her, and the only problem was she was a very good unit commander. Her people followed her blindly, loyally. When she finally got set up in uh, Dobrogean, Poland, you know, she was basically the town protector. You know, and the Polish people loved her. She killed Russians. Yeah, exactly. She's not going to get any guff
1: from the Poles. That was another problem my players had. They had all these Germans in their unit. Poles were not happy to see
2: Germans. No. Now, what is that old saying? The uh, Germans want our land, but the Russians want our souls. You know, there's an old Polish saying. The and Germans her,
1: will let them stay Catholic, and the
2: Russians will pogrom them. I guess. Yeah. Yes, and the uh, and her final her final fate, and some of the writings that I did.
0: Uh, spoiler alert, everybody. <laughs>
2: No, this is just my own private. Oh, yeah, this was, this never got published. It's never got published. Was that the Mark Graf of Silesia? who was another, another character. Guy. Another character from Black Madonna. Yeah, and another, in many respects, gray area character. Yeah. Um, the people of Taborzy, because she stayed, she stayed in Poland. She didn't want to go home. She had her king. They elected her. The Baroness of Dobrogean, you know. So here's this American captain, you know, U.S. Army captain, cavalry. Now she's the, now she's a freaking baroness, and you know she holds from the Markgraf of Silesia, who thinks she's pretty cool because she's so damn vicious. They, yeah, okay. he's a, he can he can her on any problem that yeah, and his, she'll his solve hurt. it. She'll, yeah. so she, she has the guts to do it has to be done and interestingly enough most of her units stayed with her what I loved about that was the sort of about
1: the the the, the setting was it got very medieval and it got medieval oh, yeah. in a in a in a genuinely believable way especially the idea that you could have some group come into an area that were foreigners and they could be accepted as the areas protectors I mean it was kind of a violation of the sort of Nationalism and nation-state ideas that have developed since the, uh, I guess, since the Napoleonic eras, but Europe didn't really, you know, completely shed that until maybe World War One. There's still, you know, you you go into um, uh, World War One and you got Russian generals with with German names and German generals with French names. Uh, So the idea that you could have these guys come in and be like, I don't know, Normans or Bulgars or or or, or yep. Magyars and settle in an area and be accepted as the local Well, uh, well because well,
0: they know that a lot of these people, especially the Americans, they're there. They ain't going anywhere because they have nowhere to go and they can't go anywhere.
2: Yeah, yeah so, and, and by the way, Scott, speaking as a history nerd, yeah. what you're probably thinking of is the Treaty of Westphalia in 1648 which ended the Thirty Years' War and began the establishment of the European nation-state. The yeah. nerd here, nerd here, history nerd moment. Oh, boy. Uh, oh, I, can tell, I can tell you're a nerd because you had to correct me. That's
1: that's always the big nerd test. If you say oh, yeah. something like, beam me up, Spocky, and they go, that's Scotty. Ah! That's, yeah.
0: there, there, is, there is never any nerd moments on this show. Ever. Never. 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 No. So, now, so, just to circle back a little bit, uh, so so Frank, you did several uh, source books for the game. Now you said you, now you said you originally got into that because one of the original creators you were you were kind of uh, friends with, right? And uh, he was working
2: yeah. for GDW. He done some. And you're GDW. already working
0: for GDW, correct? Yeah,
2: but I, I well, I I freelanced, done a few things.
0: Okay, so th- now did you come up to did you come up to them and say, hey, I got some ideas for some source material? Or did they ask you to? hey, we need some different source material and adventures. How it was that
2: It a combination of both, actually. Uh, Frank and, and Lauren Wiseman and Mark Miller were all really mellow guys. In fact, I knew Mark. He was a guest at a convention here years or, or in Tampa years and years ago. And I'd make proposals. I'd just say, okay, you know, hey, and besides them, i got to tell you right now to put it out here in public. The Black Madonna was originally a very good friend of mine. Her name is Stephanie Robbins. She is currently a civilian analyst for the Department of the Army, an intelligence analyst. She did a lot of work in Eastern European studies, and she said, "Hey Frank, you ever heard of the Black Madonna of Czestochowa?" I said, "Kind of vaguely," and she turned me onto it. So that's partly her idea as well, you know. So I'm going to give credit, you know. I mean, I'm she. She was the spark. And um, the other, by the way, the other inspiration for Black Madonna, Raiders of the Lost Ark. uh uh-huh. I wanted to do that kind of, you know, advent- with just a little tinge of the supernatural. Yeah.
0: Now, th- now this is all from now. You only wrote for the first, uh, the first edition, right, Frank? Yeah, I
2: joined. wrote for the first edition.
0: First edition. Now, uh, from from again doing my research because I, I I said I was out of Twilight 2000 at that point, but I know in '90 they came out with. Point you know two the second edition yep. and from what I've read you know now Scott you can fill us in a little bit more on that was there was changes in the game uh, to where because the the coal, the the uh, you know the wall had fallen in eighty nine
1: well so the mechanics the mechanics had changed oh the mechanics um, they, had changed the, in that the, rules. the the new edition had this cover on the big yellow cover and there's also the big yellow box over here and um, one of the things that they did was they they changed the rules quite a bit and oh yeah they, the character sheet um, uh, was changed up so that um, it became a lot easier to make a character. It was a lot easier to, uh, to define the character's abilities. Um, it became a skill, it was still a, a skill-based game, but a lot of your skills were, were now based on some attribute bases, you know. If you had some intelligence, you know, you, you, you're, you'd be pretty good at something even without training. Um, but but now, And they, but now, and they so. also fixed the problem of the first game had this one weird rule about weapons fire. Um, when you took a shot in the game originally, uh, guns held shots, not bullets. And a shot was three rounds. And it was a way for them to streamline auto fire and other rules. The result was you couldn't just use one bullet. It was always three rounds. And that always was kind of wonky. And it was like something out of a tabletop miniatures, or like something out of Squad Leader. Yep. Um. They fixed that problem, and the rule set. They tried to adapt this rule set GDW did to its game Dark Conspiracy, which is sort of a dystopian supernatural game. Uh. uh they also tried to adapt it to something called Merc 2000, which was uh, yeah. an alternate history, no cold, no third world war, but a world that's spiraling into chaos.
0: Yeah, because because uh, I think they were, they, what I've read it, they were worried about danger of their game becoming obsolete because the Cold War was over, so yeah. it wasn't as relevant. Yeah, so they actually, had to come out with some other yeah, sources. Yeah, and
2: actually what they did also, too, was if you read that, they basically turned it into an alternate history because yeah. in second edition, the point where it diverged was, if you remember when Boris Yeltsin is Mayor of my you know, the whole thing with the KGB, yeah, the coup. In this case, it worked. Yeah. So then you hardliners were still in charge. I, I'm gonna be i am I'm gonna be a dick
1: and say that um, whenever I think Aww. about Twilight two thousand, uh, my my bet was always that it should be run as a as a alternate history. That you should not care that it's set in two thousand and that was thirteen years ago. Yeah. You should not care that things you should just pick a point and yeah, like they did, they picked a point in ninety one. They did it that the coup. But in my opinion, The coup's too late to to save the Soviet Union. You can't pull it out with the coup because Eastern Europe has already fallen and, you know, Germany's already reunified. You need to go back to 1989, just before the Tiananmen Square Massacre, when Gorbachev and a bunch of his liberal buddies, including Shevardnadze and a couple of those, well, how liberal Shevardnadze is, it reigns to be seen. But they fly out to Peking, and they're there just before the Tiananmen Square blows up and the students are going crazy because of this this glasnost thing and so what I did and when I sort of rewrote it for my own home crew was that um, the KGB does to Gorbachev what they did to general Zia in Pakistan they blew his plane up and then they blamed the attack on uh, jihadists from Afghanistan um, and uh, Gorbachev is a martyr uh, Muslims are on the Soviet hit parade, um, the, the Chinese don't ha- eliminate this this infection of, of uh, uh, you know, Glasnost and perestroika, and the Soviet police state cracks down against an imagined enemy, which is, you know, uh, Islamic fundamentalism. The result being is that they beat on their Islamists hard enough that they actually generate the Islamic fundamentalism that we run into in the 90s. Um, so that was my point of divergence when I wanted to do it. And I thought, there's no reason why it couldn't survive. This game couldn't survive oh. as an alternate history, like alternate history World War II games, you know? Yeah. It can or- not to be updated for the present.
0: Yeah, well, a lot of people, you know, don't necessarily like this. Like, It's like, well, that didn't really happen. It's like, so when you're playing D&D, you're telling me there was orcs and dragons and magic users? I mean, come on, seriously? It's a setting that you're yeah. playing
2: in. Yeah. And well, for, yeah, and the one thing that I always uh, liked about Twilight 2000, and I tell everybody, to me it was the ultimate Cold War Reagan-era role-playing game. Yeah, yes. It's an A-plus ultra.
0: Well, it was because it was, 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 was going to happen.
2: Yeah. Red, and besides,
0: Red, like I always say, Red Dawn was a training film. It was going to yeah, happen.
2: That, yeah, that besides, is, if you That If you go back and you look at the events of 1983 and all the stuff that's coming out about it now, and how damn close we were to an actual! War. Oh, oh, you mean the uh, the
1: thing where the Russians mistook the um the uh the exercise? Yeah, align. yeah.
2: I uh, I played a um air war game called the Bitburg Eagles. You know the F-15s, and all of a sudden it hits the fan. And so there's your break point. Now there was another break point as well, and it's available for people who'd like to read it. I call it Twilight 1957. It's The paper's called Operation Drop Shot, and it's an analysis of what would have happened if the U.S. and the Soviet Union had gone to war in the 1950s, and it's very detailed. It's very interesting. So well, we're we going to have
1: to post a link to that. That's That sounds dead sexy. That really does.
2: Uh, including, of course, here's your opportunity to... Uh, being a tank crew, and the driver's a fella named Elvis Aaron Presley. <laughs> and believe it or not, I, I read an article by one of the men that was in his unit, and he said he was a damn good soldier. And he said he, he was wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. he was. He was not being Elvis. You know, he was just one of the guys.
0: Now here, now here's a question. I know in uh, I I don't know if it was the second edition or the third edition that came out. Which was the the edition where basically they tried to tie the Twilight 2000 setting into 2300 AD? Was it was it with the second well, edition? That was
1: always that was always the yeah. case. That
0: was, oh, was, that was it always, always, it?
1: always the case because what I understood was is that the, if you read 2300, uh, or Traveler 20, Traveler 2300, uh, they actually mentioned the Twilight War as reshaping the world, and apparently Frank Chadwick and all these guys at GDW sat down. And over like three months, played this giant board game with homebrew rules, where they took they they fought the entire Twilight War, and the aftermath of it up until 2300 AD, and that created their setting. That the because the French the guy playing the French player did really really well. By the time you get to 2300 AD, France is the third French Empire, and they are the superpower of the. Twenty-three hundred. And if
2: I might jump in here for a moment. Oh please. I think that was part of the reason why twenty-three hundred didn't do all that well. You write it for an American audience, which obviously was designed for. For God's sakes, don't make the French the centerpiece.
1: Well, they were the, but they are the evil empire that you can always take a run at. I mean, it was it was tough that you know you read the thing and America has been reduced to a second-rate power. We're about the kind of America that you'd expect from say 1890. Compared to the powers in Europe, you know, and uh, you know, America is get back to being the brash upstart nation. But you know, you, it's
2: tough coming back from a limited nuclear strike in your backyard. You know, that's true. And by the way, I did the, um, I did the strikes and the targeting uh, stuff for the uh, Soviet Union. I did oh, the strike maps.
1: The twilight two thousand. Uh, yeah. the,
2: the, uh, the, was it USSR two thousand? Yeah. Yeah, oh, the, the okay. The nuclear strikes, and I always said, limited? Ye god, you know, you look at the targets in the United States, you look at the targets in the Soviet Union, there were targets all over the world. Yeah, it ain't and, that limited. Um, I noticed, no. though, that you, you didn't hit uh, what's it called, Yamanato
1: Mountain, which is the creepy Soviet giant underground city in the urals I so, didn't know I didn't know about
2: it had I known
1: about that's it okay. no no you missed it therefore it's the center of all of that evil Russian nastiness all about, right, as yay, they're still trying there. to fight the third world war even though everyone else has given up on this stupid war thing there's still these grizzled old generals and party apparatchiks in this underground city you know trying to figure out how they're finally going to vanquish capitalism you know, from the face yeah, see, of the that earth.
2: Yes, yeah, and that was the thing. I mean, when you look at some of the stuff that, that, I, you know, that I did, and, and I'm very proud of it, I worked the RDF source book from open sources only, although I had some help from some of the folks at what is now CENTCOM, which was then Joint RDF Task Force Headquarters. And, you know, I used to look at it like I, I took out some stuff, and I read it like several months ago, and I'm like, my God, was I ever off the mark, but then I realized, no, not by that much. I have given you a ration of shit
1: for uh, presuming in the RDF source book that Iran would get less crazy. I mean, that's your only yes. big sin in, yeah. in, in, in in the RDF source book. Is this boy, idea boy, could it, you have not
0: been more wrong. <laughs> right, yeah, granted, I they
1: have... His presumption was after the Iran-Iraq war, with all the massive casualties suffered, you know, doing human wave attacks against mustard gas, that people in Iran would go, huh, maybe these mullahs are not running the country very well. But the opposite has happened. It actually entrenched the mullahs' rule, no matter how incompetently they ran the war, and no matter how many dead bodies, Iranian dead bodies, they made. It only sort of, you know, it's like Stalin in World War II. It only solidified their rule, but you know, apart from that, you know, there weren't a lot of ridiculous. There weren't, and that really at the time wasn't a ridiculous presumption. Um, You know, neither was things like um, Yugoslavia fighting the Warsaw Pact and you. But and and the the game originally had Yugoslavia breaking up during World War Three into ethnic fighting the only thing they got backwards was the Serbs being on NATO's side and the Croatians being on the Warsaw Pact side but even so they got a lot
2: of that right they did a yeah. really good job I um, think one of the most interesting things that they, that they that they got right in a way was if you look at the head of Milgob, General Jonathan Cummings yeah. former chairman of the Joint Chiefs Staff. he's African-American that's right. Like, he's like That's Colin, right. and, and you read his bio, and it's like, kind of reminds me of Colin Powell.
1: Yeah, it's like they called the Colin Powell thing before there was a Colin Powell. Yeah. First time you were, and the, for me, the first time it was revealed that he was uh, African-American is in Pirates of the, uh, or Gateway to the Spanish Main by it Tom is, Mulkey, yeah. where you find he sent his family out of the country, or, or, or some nieces or whatever, and uh, you find these girls, and they're living in Grenada, and they're black. And it's like, wait a minute, they're yeah. the nieces? And, yeah, I had my fucking white boy, milk you know, those white privilege moment of going, wait a minute, what do you mean the head of Milgov's black? I, Eat it, white boy, he's black, get used to it. And I thought, well, no wonder the fucking New Americans hate Milgov so much. Well, man, right. that
2: was another one, the n- New America. And yeah. uh, I always thought the, uh, the scary thing about that was the number of Twilight 2000 players that were actually sympathetic towards New uh, America.
1: Uh, Well, you know, I keep hearing from people who played Twilight 2000, like in Europe, in uh, in, that some people played it where they played the Soviets. You know, they they were perfectly happy to play the Soviets. I never heard anybody playing the New Americans. I would have to spank my players if they played the New Americans. Well, I think,
2: Uh, and that's what what I think would be so interesting is they came up with New America. I'm looking at this and I'm going, yeah, whatever. You know. I don't think you would ever find that in reality. I don't think you're going to find the super militia out there. No. You know, you'd have all these little chunk of junk groups. Uh, you know, of you know, what whatever variations of pecker woods they got out there. Yeah. And I, I, um, I agree that the, one of the things about New America is it couldn't survive
1: as a as a monolithic entity because yeah. you know that just wasn't going to work, but. The idea of all these different militias after the uh, after the after the war made perfect sense. Yeah. Um. And certainly, New America could have could have like developed post bomb, you know, rather than be a plan from the beginning. It develops post bomb so that it looks a lot more like the Hollandists from yep. say uh, the Postman. Um, yeah.
0: But now, um, back to what we were saying before about uh, the twenty three hundred and how how it developed. I uh, See, I did not know that. My interpretation at the time was that Traveler 2300 stemmed from, like, oh, look, we're trying to make aliens the, the, uh, the role-playing game, because that's what it felt like. Certainly the tech looks like
1: that. They went for a very hard science look.
0: The very hard science yeah. look, the 2300.
1: And, now, you, uh,
0: now, you said, now, you said that was all along. Then they came out with a third edition in 1993. How much did did that vary much from the one that came out in 90, the what second the, edition?
2: What they did was the second edition used the D10, and the third edition, the 2.2, which I happen to have, um, used the D20.
0: Okay, so it was just a, more, a little more of a mechanics change than anything at yeah, no, that and point. And
2: not only that, but they also had a way of character generation where you could actually have a civilian career.
1: Yes, yes you could. You didn't have to just be in the military.
2: No, you could have a civilian career and suddenly you're in the military. You take a look at that, you take a look at Traveler New New Era, which was along the same lines and used the same system. It was called the GDW House System. Yeah, they, they tried to apply it to everything. And the, perhaps the greatest thing they did was they applied it to a wonderful game called Cadillacs and Dinosaurs. Oh, geez. Yes. Do I have a copy of that here? Uh, mine's packed away, but I always thought it would be... One of the things I found oh. interesting was the hearing of the number of people... I've got that. That's got some ace stuff in it. Was hearing the number of people that played Morrow Project, then when Twilight 2000 came out, they switched over to Twilight Two Thousand. Yep, and that's uh, what they I, were after. And uh, somehow, though, the idea of a fusion-powered M1 Abrams tank—I <laughs> don't know—it <laughs> got a little rasty as it was.
0: Well, it's it's a, it's a, a different it's a different setting. It's a different it's a different I, world universe for sure. It's definitely, like definitely different po- approach.
2: I
1: would like to point out that Twilight Nightmares was a collection of scenarios that basically did horror and science fiction themes for Twilight 2000, so there's a, there's a crashed alien spaceship, there's a, there's a Jurassic Park style problem, Predator Uh, style, yeah, there's a Predator style problem, there's a, my favorite though, was a scenario called, uh, Warlord, yeah, which was the, which was the Terminator style scenario, where, um, a, there is a, factory with an AI in it that is cranking out enslaving people and making them build war machines to go out and conquer the area and restore order and um, it was set up so you could either have it as an AI is actually the problem or there's kind of a Wizard of Oz situation where there's a guy pretending to be the AI.
2: But Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain.
1: Yeah exactly but you know people were willing to surrender to the machine because it knows better. And it's super smart. You know, uh but, but but you know a man would have put them all, oh it's just another guy like us. But suddenly this, you know, he's got this. That was one of the alternate endings and I thought that was really cool. All right,
0: well mm-hmm. we're going to start uh winding down here because we're, we're almost at our limit. But I wanted to just be able to hit on a couple of more things related to Twilight 2000. Yeah. Um now there was back in oh god, when was it 1991? There was a licensed computer game that came out yes. for of Two Thousand.
1: I played it a little bit. It was, uh, I didn't play it at all. Black Baron of Warsaw, I think, is what it was called, and it was a uh, sort of a takeoff of the um, uh, Ruins of Warsaw uh, sc- scenario book. Uh, it was kind of what it was based off of. Um, it wasn't particularly good in my recollection. Well, again, it
0: was 1991, as as well. So I mean, how, yeah, that, how how good were how good were those type of games back then, realistically?
1: Well, so fair, fair enough. Yeah, there was the Ruins of Warsaw. Um, but one of the things that it well certainly it wasn't as good as it it felt like they were trying to do Wasteland. Yeah. You know, uh, but they didn't quite get there. Um, there were certain mechanical difficulties for it. My my biggest complaint was when you developed a player character to go out and and you had multiple teams of, of characters you could put together and, and go like squads, out squads i believe yeah you could organize these squads um there was an upper limit of how many men you could have of course but the the character generation was such that um play, the characters were rarely good enough at any more than one thing you had you ended up with one guy as the shooter one guy as the driver one guy as the mechanic and that always kind of bothered me, because it was difficult to create well-rounded characters. Yeah.
0: Now, uh, the last thing I want to touch on before... Well, actually, before, before we do that, um, Scott, can you turn your camera like you did before? Can you show us that oh. nerdgasm you have you have uh, over uh, there? This
1: is the this is the nerdgasm. Let's turn this down. Well, first, there's the, all the bookshelves back here. <laughs> but <laughs> over here, we have set up a big, giant pile whoop, of Delta Green. Shane, I swear I'm working on Delta Green. Uh, there's, starting from Dennis's novel over here, here's all the Twilight 2000 material I've got, plus this giant pile of books, this giant section of books here, here's some of Frank's, um, that is my Twilight 2000 collection. These folders are actually filled with articles that I photocopied way back in the 80s out of magazines like Challenge magazine, so I could reference them without having to, you know, tear up and damage my copies of Challenge magazine. So nice. that, that's my giant collection of Twilight 2000 crap. And so,
0: there's, so there's quite a bit of stuff for Twilight 2000 out there.
1: And to point out a couple other things, these two folders here are filled with material that Tom Mulkey sent me before he passed away. Um, when Because uh, I discovered he was living in Florida and he was writing a lot of Twilight 2000 material about Florida. He wrote... Uh, Gateway to the Spanish Main, he wrote um, Urban Guerrilla, which is a really classic uh, scenario, uh, and uh, set in a New America-run uh, St. Petersburg, Florida. Um, he did uh, uh, some other stuff set in Florida, and because I was you know, living in Florida at the time, I was thrilled with any Twilight 2000 material that was set in Florida. So he sent me a bunch of his unpublished notes for things like... Uh, uh, Murphy's Rules, which was set at the University of Florida, uh, The Mad Woman of Miami, uh, Warriors of the Everglades, and a couple other scenarios that he came up with that are really, really kind of cool. And uh, I have held on to them ever since, well, I guess ever since the, the early 90's, which is probably the last time I had contact uh, with Tom. I called him up because he was another Vietnam vintage paratrooper and asked him I was about to go skydiving the next day, and I, I needed a pep talk to not chicken out. And Tom was very gracious and was willing to talk me into jumping out of a perfectly good airplane. Thank you, Tom, wherever you are. Oh, and finally, this is incredibly stupid. I found this was a giant binder that I created, which was a compendium of every sort of, lo- it was sort of a gazetteer of the Twilight 2000 world. From all the books, distilled information of where the military units were located, what cities were under whose control, what cities were nuked—that's um, how completely in love I was with Twilight 2000 as a as a setting.
0: Now, then, as a counterpoint, the last thing we're going to talk about—we're going to—we're going to keep it quick—is would you like to give us your thoughts and opinions of the? 93 Game Studio, uh, re-visioning of Twilight 2013.
1: I I've read a couple of. I don't know, Frank. Have you read it? Yes. All right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> boy, that was that was a flat. That was a flat, joyless yes. Um, the reviews. I've read a couple of reviews about it. I've and I've paged through it a little bit, but I never bought a copy. And the thing that got me about all the reviews I read. Um, was that over and over? What people complained about was not the mechanics. Everybody's gripe was that they uh, that, that the guys at 93 Studio utterly and completely blew the geopolitics of their of their apocalyptic world. Um, they failed utterly to understand how, oh, I don't know, politics work and international relations and Oh yeah, warfare. Um, uh, I would, I would love to read some of the dumber things that they alleged to have happened. Um, one of my favorites was um, the this this um, the reviewer describes that France is subjected to a, a to nuclear terrorism, and that uh, France determines that the nuclear terrorism was launched from terrorist bases in yellow so their response is to nuke Belorussia uh, causing the Russians to invade Belorussia declare war on France and nuke Western Europe the uh, the reviewer describes this as the equivalent of this is like jumping into a bombed-out car and then declaring war on whoever bombed the car Uh, The the, the scenario for World War III gets dumber and dumber, as Canada and Mexico attack America. Um, One of my favorite moments is where the Chinese... uh, how did the reviewer put it? Um, Let's see here. Uh, China launches a surprise nuclear attack on the United States with its submarine fleet. Which apparently employ alien space bat technology to avoid detection and destruction by the more numerous and technologically advanced submarines of the US. They did this in retaliation for the US cutting off trade with China. So let me get this straight. You stopped buying our crap. So we're going to kill you. Is the, that's their plan. Yeah, oh I, I,
0: I've, read, I've read similar things about just how bad just the universe is. And they made this little audio thing of like, oh. like George Bush's final message to America. Did you, did you hear oh, any yeah. of that ever?
1: And, and that was perhaps the part where I, my head exploded when I heard this. Where the president's final message to America is... Something on the on the lines of you know, the we listen listen
0: to your local governments. They'll take care of you or something the, stupid the like that. The federal
1: government has failed to fix the problem, so we've decided to disband the federal government.
0: That's right. It's we uh, worse yeah, than I thought.
1: <laughs> we've decided that because we were no good at managing this, you know, third world war thing, we decided that the thing to do is to stop doing anything. Local military commanders are supposed to report to local authorities, or U.S. military forces are supposed to report to local authorities for to take their new orders. And I'm thinking, does that include our nuclear stockpiles? Are we handing does the mayor of Detroit, who you know used to be a street gang member two weeks earlier, does he
2: now have access to the nuke codes? I mean. What are you talking about? It was just yeah, but when you know, looking back on that, and the first thing I was, thinking is, how the hell did somebody from the Tea Party get elected to the presidency? Because that <laughs> sounds exactly like what they were doing.
1: That's their very first plan: is we're going to fix this federal. The federal government's not working very well, so we're going to stop having one.
2: Yeah, there so. you go. Actually, right. I, I think that I've read it all. I didn't care for the game mechanics. Neither did I care for the world. Thank God I got it in PDF, which is now just, you know, it's it's electronic kibbleage. <laughs> if I could go back, if I could do not publish A Twilight 2000, and I'll be brutally honest, the rules I would use, the engine I would use would be Savage Worlds. Because it's fast, it's curious, it's fun. It moves quickly you could still do a lot of role playing with it. It's got an entire, my God, you know, uh, arsenal of weaponry. You could set it up, but um,
0: well, maybe, uh, maybe track down that license, Frank. See if you get licensed and uh, make that happen.
1: As soon
2: as you win know. the lottery.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, maybe get, you know. Well, if, I mean, if these, if these other jokers could have done it, Frank. Frank surely could do it. So.
2: Yeah, and it, I think it would be interesting. It the, it the, be, the, the last oh, word I want to throw yeah. in about the, the yes setting. we're
0: all right Frank we're hitting our now we're now going to hit our uh, phrase called uh, final words because we need to uh, wrap up, we need to wrap up got it so uh, what is your last words Mr Glancy? oh
1: okay for my last words on the on the reboot uh, of Twilight 2000 the one from Studio 93 um, one of the reviewers of the game you know made the comment that when they they read the original Twilight 2000. They sort of fell in love with it because it was clearly put together by um, uh, history and politic wonks who had <laughs> mm-hmm. a deep knowledge of their subject and had just you know uh, <laughs> done their damnedest to create uh, not just a uh, uh, an entertaining and interesting world but one that was uh, built in enough plausibility that you could you know you could uh, maintain your your suspension of disbelief. Uh, these people were clearly so, like guys so they were so they, so,
0: so they didn't learn anything from that, you're trying to say?
1: Well, um, the, the reviewer's comment, which I thought was brilliant, was that the Studio 93 setting read like it had been written by guys who got their history and politics from role-playing games. <laughs> that they this is these guys were not guys with master's degrees or doctorates in history or had been uh you know had uh, some any military background at all it was just it was their 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 contact with the subject matter was no deeper than you know uh having played role playing games you know and read history out of the back out of role playing games so that's Not 100% fair and true, because I know that there were some guys who were involved in it that were, uh, you know, uh, active and former uh, U.S. military personnel. But regardless, uh, it just failed. It just failed. I think one of the problems is it's Twilight 2013. You'll notice it's 2013. Nothing's blown up. You avoid history marching over your game if you set it in alternative
2: history.
0: Yep. All right. uh, uh, Last words, Frank.
2: Yeah, for me, when you really look at it, the world of Twilight 2000, if you go back and you say, take a look at the world of Conan, mm. the wandering warriors, you know, the bring order out of chaos, um, the legendary American West, like Ie the Wild Bunch, or you know, the, basically the small band of brothers with guns or swords or whatever, united against a chaotic world. Um, you made reference to Band of Brothers, and yeah, that's what you are. Cause that's all you've got. In the it end, was, that's all you've got. It
1: was a. Gr- it was one of the few games where you know uh, we never did this in D and D. In D and D, we always just wandered around to the next adventure. But 2000, a game where we got attracted to locations, and you know, set ourselves up, became warlords, tried to carve out a piece of civilization. Yeah make trade make you know the make the mail work again and building something out of the ruins was so much sexier than just having another fire fight in the ruins you know yep. uh, yeah, was really yeah what was
2: attractive about the game yeah and you look at uh, uh, conan you look at the legendary american west you know the brightest legends lawmen bringing order rounding up bad guys building something and in Twilight 2000, I think that's in a way is what it is as well.
0: That's a very, uh, very good analogy, uh, Frank. I never, I never thought about it like that myself, so it's, it's very good. So, all right. So, uh, last words to me. Again, I really don't have a whole lot of last words. You know, again, I, I wasn't as steep in his, uh, the game as much as, as these guys are, but I've actually learned a lot about it just from uh, being on. Listen to these guys. Listen to Frank and Scott talk about it. You know, like Frank's last words. So. Yeah, it re-sparks my interest in it again. You know, maybe somebody should write some fiction on it. But um, yeah, that's my last words. Frank, Scott, write some good uh, Twilight Two Thousand fiction. That's my last words. As soon on as the I get,
1: as soon as I get done <laughs> with my Delta Green writing assignment, I promise. So I'll you'll get right on it. Right on that.
0: Okay, so uh, so that's so that's it for this week, folks. Again, thank you, uh, Frank, for joining us uh, yeah, this week. Sure. We appreciate we appreciate it. You know, we'll go we'll get you looped in again some other time. Uh, yeah. And Scott, thank you as normal. And I'm thinking because uh, I had a point that I was going to make. I don't know how I was going to tie into it. But I think next time, folks, I think we're going to finally touch on a subject that I've been avoiding and don't want to talk about because it's too popular, but I think it's, it's fair time that we, we touch on the subject matter. Do you know what, I, what I'm going at, Scott? Uh,
1: you might be coming around to the F word. You might uh. be. <laughs> Are you coming around to the F word?
0: The F word?
1: Fallout.
0: Oh no 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 no. The Z word.
1: Oh, the Z word. Oh uh, yes. We're not we're not say we're not using the Z word.
0: Not, uh, that's stupid. It, don't say that. <laughs> the, you question is,
1: the question is, where do we start?
0: Oh, I don't know. We'll figure it out. But I think we I think we need to touch base on uh, Fair enough that we need to talk about the zombie apocalypse because it's popular, it's cool, and you know we are f- been fans of it for a long time, you know, way before, because you know we're hipsters, because we were into it before everybody else was. So, uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, 17 years old, went to the midnight movies, the Midnight Movie Express at AMC theaters, in uh, in Seminole, in, in, in Altamonte Springs, Florida, and watched Dawn of the Dead. Uh you know, at age seventeen and that was it. I'm hooked.
0: Oh, yeah. I saw before before I even saw I saw the original Day of the Dead, nineteen eighty five, when I was sixteen years old, in the movie theaters, and I was into this stuff before then. But again, I'm not gonna justify how much hipsters we are. But I think I think maybe we'll touch on we'll touch on the zombies because we've talked we talked oh. about it a little bit and I think I think it needs its uh
1: We've been chewing around the edges of the Z word for a while. You
2: know, yeah. Okay, were, oh and, and by the way, uh Early 1970s, out at a drive-in with a friend of mine, a, a six-pack of beer, and Night of the Living Dead, the original, on the screen. <laughs> that, was your, that was your point of contact? Yeah, that yeah. was it. That was the first one.
0: Okay, so it's decided. Next uh, next show, folks, which we're not going to have. Uh, we had a show early this week because I'm uh, out of town all week for the real job, so um, <laughs> so we couldn't do it next week. But the week after, after I'm back in town from business, uh, we'll pick up where we left off. So two weeks from now, we're going to pick up and we're going to talk about everybody's favorite, every favorite uh, apocalypse is zombies. So, uh, mm, zombies. I guess, so. Good night, folks. Uh, again, thank you, Frank. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, anybody who put up with our BS and listened to us for you know however long we talked. Uh, we will see you in the wastelands. Thank you and good night.
2: Good night.